I think uh, I think we're good to go, Austin. When uh, if you wanna if you wanna just start the pod. Do you want to switch it up this week? Do you want to do the intro? Do I want to do? Oh, man, I'm not prepared. All right, I guess. I what can if, do it if you don't. I'll, no, no, no. I'll do it. Screw it. I'll I'll do it. Oh. I got I to be I got to be ready. I got to be ready to, you know, at a minute's notice. <clears throat> Is everyone ready? Oh, do I do, this, do, I do this NPR style? Hello, welcome to the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the DI scoreboard, man. Take your order. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the DI Scoreboard. My name is Siobhan. We're switching it up. I'm doing the intro this week, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Austin Hansen. Austin, how are we doing? I am good. Uh, the pressure is off this week. Don't have to do the intro, and I'm loving it. It's true. Instead of you embarrassing yourself prepping for the intro, I'm probably going to put myself in there. Um, joining us, as always pregame editor and breaking news specialist for sports robert reed how are you doing robert yeah the the as always really applies to this one because you know i'm on the podcast again but you know i'm doing well happy to be here joining us uh special guest this week is di projects editor brooklyn drazy brooklyn how are we doing today i'm doing well thanks for having me on we're looking forward to getting your insight on a number of topics and um you know, looking at the at the rundown, it's it's been a pretty light week in terms of sports, but we will be digging into plenty of things, including the announcement, I believe it was just today, of the Iowa men's basketball schedule. Robert, what do you have for us? Yeah, it just came out uh, Wednesday afternoon. You know, considering the men's basketball season starts next Wednesday, you'd think it's, uh, it's a good thing to have a schedule out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they open. Iowa opens the season uh, next Wednesday against NC Central at Carver Hawkeye Arena at 3 p.m. You know we got basically the full schedule out as well. Uh, only things missing are the dates for Iowa's games against Western Illinois and Iowa State. But other than that, got the full non-conference schedule out. Got the full Big Ten schedule out. Hopefully a women's basketball schedule comes out sometime soon, but I guess we're taking this one step at a time. I guess uh, a, a couple of matchups that stand out. Obviously, we already knew that Iowa was going to be competing against North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and against Gonzaga in South Dakota. But one thing kind of missing from this schedule, I guess, I was only competing against Illinois once this season. Uh, and that was a pretty heated rivalry in the conference last year. Both top teams are... Uh, ranked very highly to start this season and we only get one matchup between the two this year which I don't know I'm disappointed I wanted to see these two (laughs) battle it out as many times as possible this season so I'll take it a step further than disappointed um I was I was I read the schedule like two or three four times I was like where's the second game against Illinois and there just there isn't one um we're only gonna get to see this highly touted Illinois team one time and I know they're pretty confident in Champagne. Two five-star recruits, Adam Miller and um, oh Andre Cavello is the other guy's name. Uh, and obviously Kofi Coburn will be back. Io Dasumu, uh, Trent Frazier. They'll have their whole team back uh, in Champagne this year. And they're pretty confident. They're talking the talk. It remains to be seen if they'll actually walk the walk. But um, it's disappointing to see 
uh, that Iowa won't have more than one opportunity to knock the orange and blue down a peg. And another standout thing from the schedule, for only the third time in program history, I was going to be playing a game on Christmas. Nothing says Christmas like Iowa playing against Minnesota in men's basketball to really get in the holiday spirit, but we'll have that this year. As long as snow's on the ground, I guess it'll feel like Christmas. See, usually when at my family Christmas, when we say basketball in the barn, it means that we're actually going to be playing basketball in a barn because it's cold outside. <laughs> But this time around, it's going to be because we're watching Iowa basketball on TV. Um, Robert and I can thumb wrestle to see who wants to write that recap on Christmas Day. But Yeah, a more uh, advanced breakdown of Iowa's 20 conference games this year. Iowa plays Purdue, Nebraska, and Penn State once, all of those coming at home. And then they play Illinois, Michigan, and Maryland once on the road. And then the remaining conference teams, they will play twice, both home and away. And uh, again, I, we'll get two matchups between Iowa and Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan State. But if there ever was a year we wanted to see Iowa and Illinois play twice in men's basketball, would have been this one. But apparently that's, a, that's not a realistic thing for this year's schedule. I, I, like, this, I like the schedule. One thing that's worth noting um, – no fans in, in Carver-Hawkeye for men's and women's basketball. That's going to have a particularly uh, large effect on women's basketball. Um, even Lisa Bluter said that the fans have been a huge part of their 36-game home winning streak. Um, and without fans at Carver, um, it remains to be seen if the women's basketball team can keep that streak alive, especially considering how much they lost. But you know, they lost Megan Gustafson last year. Kathleen Doyle became the next, you know, next person up. Will Alexis Civilian or Caitlin Clark or someone else be that person this year? It remains to be seen. There will, however, be the cardboard cutouts inside Carver Hawkeye Arena that also fill a little bit of Kinnick Stadium up on game day, which is always an interesting sight. I hope there's a bunch of cutouts of Fran yelling and very red in the face just to, you know, keep the atmosphere alive. But I, I guess we'll see what the submissions look like. I pity those officials that have to have to, have to see multiple Frans yelling at them. One, I'm sure, is already a handful, but... Uh... A whole group of clone Fran McCaffrey's, not ideal. Now, as we're heading into winter, um, everybody knows that the COVID pandemic is going to get worse. How do you guys think this will affect the men's and women's basketball seasons? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know. Anyone who says they have a, a decent idea, I don't know. Who knows what to expect? Will the season be delayed and we see March Madness pushed back a little bit? Uh, maybe we'll everything go somewhat smoothly probably not but maybe games are likely to be postponed or canceled at least with the basketball schedule there is a little bit more flexibility to move things around and reschedule things compared to the football schedule but obviously there's going to be uh, bumps in the road trying to play men's and women's basketball seasons as well as all the other winter sports during a pandemic as like Brooklyn said when things might be getting worse but who knows at this point how things are gonna gonna work out I'm surprised football's gone as smoothly as it seems to be going right now so here's what i'll say about how the pandemic will impact the season one thing we know for sure is that players still have to sit out for 21 days per big 10 conference protocol um, after they test positive so in football it's not a big deal you miss two three games whatever and in men's basketball if you have to miss 21 days that could be six seven eight games and you know in a 30-ish 35 25-ish game season 
you know, that's almost a third of the season that you're losing out on. If that happens, it'll be interesting to see what protocols apply um, if someone tests positive at like the NCAA tournament. Um, because if your different conference rules applies, then things will get tricky. But I know that's going to be a bubble format. And that's kind of the thing that's next on our budget, actually, is the NCAA tournament being moved to Indianapolis for this year. Um, they're going to play multiple gyms. They, I don't think they've announced locations officially yet, but it'll be interesting to see what the protocols are like, what media coverage is like for us, and how the NCAA bubble works out. I mean, they did trademark the battle at the bubble phrase, so I'll be first in line to get one of those t-shirts because, you know, memento and stuff. Battle at the bubble. It's uh, I, I feel like they have some time between now and then if they want to come up with a better name, but... A bubble, it's so much harder to do what something like what the NBA and WNBA accomplished in creating a bubble format when, one, you have so many teams, 68-team field for March Madness. I, I don't know how you accomplish something like that with that many teams. And these are college kids. They have other things going on. It, it, it's going to be difficult. There is some time to figure out how the postseason is going to look before they actually have to do it. And there's some time to plan. But bubble obviously seems like the best atmosphere to have a a tournament like that but I don't know it seems tricky to do at the college level yeah I don't know how they would execute that I mean would you try to compact I mean I don't think the NCAA tournament could go for you know months and months on end like it normally does or well I guess not months but weeks on end these are college students at the end of the day they do have class um, they can't just go away for six weeks and play an NCAA tournament in a bubble like NBA um, players can because, you know, they're mm -hmm. professionals. It's all they do. I don't know. I feel like the bubble would have to be played like you'd have to cram all these games in. And I feel like you would have to, I guess, consider that you could ha cram all of them in because you don't have to account for travel or anything if everyone's at the same site. You really could run it uh, AAU basketball style. Um, which would cut down on NCAA money, and um, they wouldn't like that because they're all about that TV cachet, but a lot to think about there. Um, I know Robert and I would be more than happy to go into the bubble, though. Um, that would be so <laughs> exciting for us just to feel what it's like. I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'm in the NBA now. We can uh, hop from college basketball over to college football, staying in Iowa City. First, let's recap uh, last week's game against minnesota I haven't had a chance to do that on the podcast um robert you were over there in a uh, tcf bank stadium i believe it is uh yep. <laughs> what'd you uh what'd you see was it, it was a thrashing over by that uh, iowa iowa football team oh it was just a dominant performance and um you know if the passing game was a little more on point in the second and third quarters it could have been even worse but you know the, the ground game for one thing minnesota's defense looks atrocious this season and Iowa's offensive front really took advantage. I, it's the best Iowa's offensive line has looked this season. And Alaric Jackson and Tyler Linderbaum are looking like they could start in the NFL pretty soon. But, you know, both Tyler Goodson and Makai Sargent, less so Sargent because he only got a couple touches or a handful of touches, I guess. But he really took advantage of them. Uh, both running backs, very efficient with their rushing. Um, Petrus. He, uh, he had that rough stretch in the middle of the game, started off by that very ugly interception, but, you know, he made the plays he needed too late. He had a, a couple of nice throws to Tyrone Tracy and Sean Byer to set up another score, and uh, the defense once again played remarkably well against Minnesota. Tanner Morgan looked lost all day. Uh, Jack Kerner and Riley Moss picking off some more passes. Davion Nixon getting a sack. Zach Van Valkenburg, which is a very fun name to say. 
uh, getting three sacks on his way to a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week performance. Just a really complete game um, from Iowa. Obviously, Torrey Taylor doing his thing in the punting game was the most fun part of that game. The pettiness with the timeouts at the end of the game, I think so. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> the uh, The press box was, at first, it was a lot of confusion and wanting the game to end, but then it turned into a good time. So, you know, love to see it. I wanted to talk quickly about Tanner Morgan because he is not a first-year starter like Petrus. Was, um, did Iowa's defense just step up? Because with Morgan and Bateman on the field at the same time, you would think they'd be able to get more than one garbage-time touchdown on the board, Minnesota. You know, Bateman got the ball in his hands early. Um, and part of that, it looks like there were some mixed matches in zone. Um, Nick Neiman being on top of Bateman. And and they managed to take advantage of that a little bit. But facets of that offense, Ibrahim in the running game, he went over 100 yards, a lot of those in garbage time, not a whole lot out of him on Friday. And Bateman also had a, a decent performance on the stat sheet, but some of that did come in garbage time. You know, the, the Hawkeye defensive, the, the secondary for Iowa has been pretty crazy these past couple games. More so, I think it's more impressive coming against Tanner Morgan, an experienced guy. Uh, and he showed what he could do last year in the RPO game and everything. But, you know, Iowa, I think it's 11 straight games now with an interception and they lead the nation since 2017 in that category. Just really sound, fundamental. It seems like they're always in the right spot at the right time um, to get those interceptions, which was the case with Kerners. But defensive line dominated the linebackers. They got Jack Campbell back and he and ben, Seth Benson um, shared some time. And then obviously the secondary, just everything was pretty dominant with the uh, the Iowa defense and Tanner Morgan. One was getting chased around all day and two just mm-hmm. never seemed to find a, a rhythm or have that run game to rely on. So I talked to, um, for those that don't know, former Hawkeye safety, Sean Considine. Um, I talked to him earlier this week and I asked him what his observations were on Iowa's defense. Um, and he said one of the thing was one of the things he saw was even though they have um, you know, upper class juniors and seniors on defense, they still make mistakes like they're a young team. He said, at some point, you have to be able to identify what the offense is trying to do. And he said that he saw that improvement um, against Minnesota. They could identify, hey, they're going to try to go to Rashad Bateman a lot. Let's stop him. Um, and Considine said that they did not do that against Purdue because they just let David Bell catch the ball. I think the word he used was 80 times or a million yards and seven touchdowns, uh, which I, I, I don't think that's the actual stat line. But It was just short of like that. I, I thought so. <laughs> it felt uh, like that to Iowa fans. So that's, that's one observation. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about really quick was Robert talking about how Spencer Petrus made the big plays when he needed to. Um, and by that, I go. assume you mean – he turned around and handed the ball off to Tyler Goodson every play without fumbling. That that was the big part of it. It was the ground game was really working. So seeing uh, some stuff like a a flea flicker and whatnot from the Brian Ferentz playbook was interesting. But you know they they kept going to the ground game and Tyler Goodson got going. So everything ended up all right by the fourth quarter. Going from past football and past football events to future ones let's talk about this weekend's game uh iowa heading over to happy valley taking on uh the penn state nittany lions austin what can we look forward to in this matchup will it be anything like the past few years between iowa and penn state i think things are destined to be different this year um penn state's 0-4 they look horrific they don't know if sean clifford's the guy they don't know if their backup's the guy 
So they have quarterback problems. Uh, Journey Brown had to medically retire because of a heart condition. Um, so they're down their number one running back. Penn State looks, I would say, relatively mortal compared to how they've been the last six times they've beat Iowa. But one thing I will say keep, to keep an eye out for, Penn State blitzes a lot and their rush defense is still top 30 in the nation. So Iowa's not going to be able to just hand it off to Tyler Goodson 30 times and win the game. Spencer Petrus is going to have to make some plays this week. He's going to have to throw some accurate balls, and um, this could be a make-or-break week for him. So there's my genuine, honest analysis for you, no, all jokes aside. It, it's it's weird, and this came up with uh, during the press conferences this week. Penn State being 0-4 just doesn't seem right, um, and you know both – Kirk Ferentz, Spencer Petras, all of them are saying, well, when you look at the tape, they don't look like an 0-4 team, and that's all that matters, which is the answer you expect to hear. But, you know, it it seems coming into the season when Penn State was a top 10 ranked team and a contender for the playoff, it was like, okay, Iowa might drop this one. It's fine. But going into things now, it really looks like a game Iowa should win. Penn State 0-4. Austin said their rush defense, um, you know, statistically still ranks um, favorably for them, but they're giving up like 34 points per game this year. Granted, one of those was against um, Ohio State, which could score on anybody, but still not great, especially from a Penn State defense. Um, Penn State does blitz a lot. Petrus was asked about that quite a bit. Maybe we see Tyler Goodson get involved in the passing game a little bit with some quick dump offs to him. Or just any, you've got guys like Tyrone Tracy and Amir Smith-Marset who it's dangerous once they get the ball in their hands. So maybe Iowa throws a little more quick hitters their way this week, which could pay off and help Petrus set up some easy completions. Uh, so yeah, should Iowa win this game? I'm probably going to say yes. And if they do and move to three and two, their next two opponents, Nebraska and Illinois, uh, yikes. So uh, another opportunity to improve that record before the season finale against Wisconsin. Brooklyn, let's get a pick out there. Uh, Iowa's two and two, but Penn State is looking abysmal, even though this is a road game for the Hawkeyes. Who do you like in this one? One of my favorite parts of watching football or paying attention to football is texting my family members like in the fourth quarter, especially during games where Iowa should have won. And just like with like five minutes, I'll be like, hey, how are they doing? What's going on in the game right now? And my father calling me just to like yell at me over the phone. <laughs> so this is kind of shaping up to maybe be one of those games. Yes, Iowa should win it. Will they? I can't tell you. And granted, I don't know that much about uh, sports, but mm. this just feels like one of those times where Iowa is just going to completely biff it for no reason. As Austin mentioned, Penn State has had Iowa's number recently, but I mean... It's a different year, different teams. It's um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough one, that's for sure. I mean, it's crazy how, especially since you know they they play them pretty. Fr- I will play as Penn State pretty frequently. To go a decade without beating Penn State is something, and the last three years have been three just painful losses in a mm-hmm. row. I think a combined thirteen points um, is the the deficit in the last three losses combined. Yeah. Word of advice to Iowa, don't keep it close because it hasn't worked lately. What was the worst part of last year's game? Was it Iowa's play on offense or was it the uniforms? <laughs> I forgot about those. I was actually covering that game too. And uh, <laughs> the uniforms were a choice. You know, it, I like that they were thinking, okay, we always do black alternate or throwback uniforms. Let's let's change it up. But it was a lot of gold too much gold but uh, maybe they'd be remembered a little more favorably if iowa had won the game my uh, my worst memory of hawkeye football at least being in kinnick stadium is 
the Penn State game in 2017, where Saquon Barkley just ate the Hawkeyes. And, as, you know, I'm glad to see that he's doing well in the NFL. You know, unfortunate injury this year. But you could, at that last second touchdown, you could hear a pin drop in a packed Kinnick Stadium. It was intense. The thing I remember about that game is just the back and forth between Saquon and Josie Jewell the whole game. It was mm-hmm. just incredible. Like, obviously, Saquon on paper, incredible game and an incredible college career from him. But seeing him and Josie Jewell trade blows, Jewell blowing a play up in the backfield or, um, you know, Saquon juking everybody out and hurdling a guy. Fun game to go back and, and think about and watch. Maybe not so much for Iowa fans when they start thinking about the, how, how the game ended, but, yeah, you know, most of it was fun to think or about. Or thinking about where Iowa could have been had they won that game, considering the upst- uh, upset against Ohio State later in the season. That, and I think I think Penn State, the last three years really has uh it, it's interesting to think about how those seasons could have turned around if Iowa had gotten the win and there's always those plays that stand out where it's like well if this would have happened then like I remember last time Iowa was at State College when Nate Stanley missed that wide open throw to TJ Hawkinson off the play action pass maybe that's the difference maker in the game or like we said the last second touchdown several years ago mm-hmm. but you know th- there's always seems to be those plays where maybe if this goes the other way or when, again, in that last time at State College, when there was a miscommunication at the goal line and Stanley threw it toward Noah Fant, who wasn't looking yet and it was intercepted, you know, seemed to be a lot of those plays. So, again, maybe I was just shouldn't keep it close this time. So uh, they don't have to worry about something like that. I think Brooklyn had a, has a point. Like, Shivanshi, you mentioned that Juwan Johnson touchdown in 17 that mm-hmm. – silence 70,000 people. Since then, it seems like there's been this invisible force field that uh, is impenetrable and Iowa cannot beat Penn State for whatever reason. I picked Iowa for on the line this week, but there was like, I had this out of body experience where I was telling myself, (laughs) don't do it. Iowa cannot win this game, even though my brain tells me, hey, Penn State's 0-4, Iowa could actually win. But there's a part of me just deep down that says Iowa has a 0% chance to win, even though they opened as a two-point favorite. Uh, on the road so there's been some heartbreaking losses recently when with the with the Hawkeyes but I'm telling you those five points that they've lost by so far this season that's going to haunt them if you look at the rest of their schedule how how simple it is it's what Wisconsin is probably the most losable game coming up yeah I mean you've got winless Penn State one win Illinois or one win Nebraska and then one win Illinois not great. And yeah, I mean, when you look at the leader of the division right now is 4-0 Northwestern, who Iowa had a 17 nothing lead on. And then the next two teams in the uh, the standings are Wisconsin, who Iowa's struggled against the last several years, right? and Purdue, who Iowa's already lost to. So Iowa's fourth right now, but the three teams above them have uh, either already beaten them or are Wisconsin. So yeah. it's going to be a struggle to uh, to keep jumping up in the standings. I mean, Iowa, we... we... We could be talking about a college football playoff berth if we want to talk about one one possession losses. I mean, this year Iowa's mm-hmm. lost by one possession twice. Um, they win both those games. They're undefeated. They have winnable games ahead of them, and it all comes down to the Wisconsin game at the end of the season. At the very oh. least, uh, at the very least, a Big Ten championship berth. At the very least. And I, I will give Iowa this credit, though. Um, we're talking about those close losses and what could have been as for this season. But when they were 0-2, I wasn't thinking things would be this good only a couple weeks later. Like, there seems to be some optimism back mm-hmm. um, for the program after two blowout losses, whether those teams are any good or not. But teams collected itself a little bit. And um, 
there seems to be, a, as we've said, a couple more opportunities to uh, build on that. So at least the season didn't turn into the total disaster it looked like it could have at one point. If anything, this just means that they're not going to play Columbus at the end of the season, which means that after the bowl game, they'll still sneak into that AP top 25 just for the offseason. <laughs> As they always do. I'm surprised Siobhan didn't take that opportunity to bring up my 0-9 take. Uh, let's go ahead and move on from that. Uh, I did that last week. It's 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 tired at this point. <laughs> Let, before we get too deep into my bad takes, because we could do a whole podcast on that. I thought that's what uh, the name of this podcast was. Bad Austin's takes bad takes. <laughs> Might as well be. I'm surprised we haven't seen more college football coaches employ the COVID-19 strategy. Oh, you know what? If we do a little calculus here, we can sit out this game and this game. I mean, and we're in. If you think about it, all the Ivy League basketball teams did it. So (laughs) they just didn't play at all. (laughs) Can't lose if you don't play. On a very technical level, they they outsmarted everybody. Yeah, when that it always scares me when the Ivy League is the first to cancel something because, on one hand no Ivy League sports aren't as big as the Big Ten. It's like, those guys are really smart. They yeah. might be onto something here. <laughs> they know something we don't. <laughs> Wait a minute. And they always do it way ahead of everyone else. Like, they were way <laughs> ahead on the whole football thing. It's like, oh, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not the Ivy League. Uh, they weren't about to take away our football. As we've learned in 2020, Smart people and doctors don't know anything. Just kidding. You can edit that out. But <laughs> I'm not editing that one out. That's gonna go on your take. That's gonna go in your takes Hall of Fame, Austin. <laughs> I'm gonna quote. That's gonna be my tweet this week. I'm gonna quote that and then say, "Listen to the scoreboard for more." <laughs> Experts and doctors don't know more than Nick Saban about coronavirus. We might get an unintended audience if that's the. the we're gonna get the. We're gonna get the little eye in the circle saying these these claims are being disputed <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> podcast is going to get canceled because you guys are putting out crappy takes hey listen whatever gets clicks right kelsey (laughs) (laughs) um i know you wanted to talk about nfl rookies of the year yeah i I saw i saw someone um you know go on a rant about this i believe they were with pro football focus and i'll jump on the bandwagon it's not going to happen but tristan werf's offensive rookie of the year that's yeah that's not a bad take at all it's seriously i mean it's probably it's the races between Burrow and Herbert right now. Um, those two yeah. quarterbacks have both been really good um, mm-hmm. so far. And you got a guy like Justin Jefferson as receiver, who's also been quite excellent for the Vikings. But Tristan Wirfs, if you were to redo the draft, he's a top five, if not a top three pick. Yes, uh, he's totally. he's definitely looked like the best of the the offensive tackles taken in the first round, and he was the fourth tackle taken. Um, he's he's faced some premier pass rushers early. Uh, he's already faced Cameron Jordan twice, but he's already looking like one of the best right tackles in the league, which is insane considering he could still be playing at Iowa. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would love if Tristan Wurst was on the Bears. Let me just put that on the record. But no, that's, I, that's I didn't I, even think about that. I'll be honest. And I know the I mean, Mekhi Becton, has, when he's been in and not hurt, he's also looked good for um for New York. Protecting Austin's boy Sam Darnold, um, but or at least you know trying to protect him. But yeah, I wanted to narrow it down. It is strictly as a Bengals fan, it is against my religion to say anything nice about the team in Western Pennsylvania. But uh, that the the wide receiver out there, Chase Claypool, 
is uh he's he's coming on i'll be honest i i actually appreciate watching him a little bit but yeah i wanted to get your guys' thoughts between the two quarterbacks uh joe burrow who i have no affiliation with not not a fanboy just passionate uh and and um justin herbert i i think it's burrow just because of what he has to work with and the number he's still putting up but herbert has looked more than impressive over the last especially over the last month if I had to go quick, I think I would go on the side of Herbert. Very sorry, Siobhan. I just, no, you're fine. I don't think there's a wrong answer here. That's the thing. Both quarterbacks. It's amazing how, uh, and two is, he hasn't played as much, but he's looked good too. But mm-hmm. Burrow and Herbert especially, you know, both looks let, look like home run picks for their respective teams. Um, through the eight games that Herbert started, the team is one and seven, but that's more of being a member of the Chargers than it is on yeah. Herbert. No, through eight games, over 2,300 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, only six picks. Uh, that's uh, the – I'll just say the Chargers should be very excited with the the direction of their their franchise moving forward. I'd, I'd go with Herbert, but it's close. I just wanted to point out real quick before you go, Austin. Um, week one, we were not allowed to see Herbert v. Burrow because Anthony uh, Lynn thought it would be great to start Tyrod Taylor for that game between the Bengals and Chargers. And then from week two on, Herbert's been the starter. So well, what we yeah, missed. After the team doctor sabotaged Taylor and punctured his lung. <laughs> he's, like, I can't, he's like, I can't deal with it. Or she. I don't know the, I don't know who the doctor is. So I actually have unlimited time. Uh, I'm not the one that has to head out. Um, <laughs> Oh God! This is the first scoreboard that's a, that has a clock on it. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're Ten baseball. seconds. We count. Like, uh, give me Joe Burrow. Uh, if I only have ten seconds, I'll leave it at that. Um, defensively, I don't think there's a lot of disc- defensive rookies not been as successful as the uh, as the offense. I think I don't know if you have a different take, Robert or Austin, but Patrick Queen in Baltimore? Question mark. I think that's the only one that really comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, Chase Young has also looked uh, – I know he missed some time, but yeah. he's been uh, – I think you have to weigh missing time with being dominant when she already looks on the edge. Um, so I think he'd be another name to throw in there, but Queen's a good choice. Jalen Johnson, Bears defensive back, uh, extraordinaire, defensive yeah. rookie of the year. Just kidding. He, I, I don't know if I'd give him defensive rookie of the year, but he has looked very good as uh, I as I was, as the Bears' <laughs> second corner out there. Or sad, but they're for a little Freudian slip. <laughs> All right. Well, now that um we got we got I think we actually hit everything except for the pro poll, but I didn't really want to talk about that anyway. Um, Can looks we, like uh we got everything out of the way. Go ahead, Austin. I, just real quick. Yeah. If Charlotte takes Lamelo, can we talk about how? Lamelo's dad, Lavar, said he could beat Michael Jordan one on one, and now his son's going to be on Michael Jordan's team. I feel like the one-on-one matchup is out there now, and I'm going to take it up upon myself personally to raid the Charlotte Hornets on Twitter until they set up Lavar Le- Michael Jordan one-on-one. I feel like they would sell more tickets to Lavar Ball versus Michael Jordan one-on-one than tickets in any other Hornets game. <laughs> oh wait, we got per Woj the Chicago Bulls are targeting Patrick Williams with the number overall pick. Number four overall pick. Austin's big I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure who, who that is off the top is of my head. That? <laughs> and on that note, I'm gonna, before Austin spirals into an existential crisis, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Special thanks to, um, obviously, my co-host, Austin Hanston. And at this point, my co-host, Robert Reed. And special guest, 
Brooklyn taking time out of her busy day to, to join us today and give us some hot takes on Iowa football. Uh, Kelsey, thank you for being here as always for to helping us um, to help us produce this thing. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. We'll go over the um, we're going to have a different release date next week, probably going to be earlier than Friday because we'll be going over not only the Penn State game, also previewing Friday's game against Nebraska between uh, for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, join us then. Until then, my name is Shavanch, and uh, see y'all next time. Oh wait, we're no, we're, pre- we're presented by nobody. I messed it up, Austin. <laughs> yeah, you got. You got to say that we're we're presented by no one. Probably Johnsonville. Um, next week when we when we come back, I will be a full on Patrick Williams fan. No idea who he is right now, but next week he's going to be slated to be better than Michael Jordan, LeBron James, everyone. So. Until then. Just wait for the take quakes. Oh, I didn't mention the Burrow Burrow. I wanted to I wanted to make a thing because Joe Burrow's last name is also a method of transportation. Granted it's a donkey, but but it's a <laughs> but we could hop on the bandwagon and it'd be the Burrow Burrow. You know what? I'll just tweet out a picture of Joe Burrow's face on a donkey and then that'll be the Burrow Burrow. I'll uh, put a little like swooping arrow up to the top for that item. Yeah. Just move the text too. I printed it out because I'm old fashioned. Oh, you printed. <laughs> I was God. like, that seemed like a lot of work. Wait, when do you print this out? I filled this out like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> I printed it out at 6:17, then hopped on the pod. Wow. <laughs> Wait, just a second. Penn State just sent me something goofy. Were <laughs> they letting a photographer in? No, I have. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so close. Austin, am I your best friend? Yes. Don't tell Chris, though. <laughs> Leave that you know in that, the you end. You know it's going in the podcast. Leave that in the end. <laughs> the burner account's about to be very upset. Yeah. <laughs> burner account's going to be hot this week. <laughs>